Well, good morning, everybody. As the video you saw at the beginning of the service, I am Jeremy Bauer, the junior varsity pastor here at this church. It was an extreme pleasure to have everybody from our Midwest Conference come and be here this week and to see uh, people that I had gone to school with decades ago and to, to meet new friends and just the blessing it was uh, that our church was able to host and for all the volunteers that made it successful. So thank you to all of you who were here and were helping as well. When I was uh, living in Minnesota uh, doing youth ministry, our youth group practiced or participated in the 30-hour famine. And for those of you who don't know what the 30-hour famine was, it was an opportunity to bring awareness to starvation and uh, extreme hunger that was happening around the world in various parts of uh, in those communities, uh, diseases and, and, and whatnot. And, and students were supposed to go and, and find sponsors either in the church or their communities or schools and raise support. And what they were doing is the people were making a pledge to these students to fast for 30 hours. And what it was, it was to allow students to experience what true hunger really feels like. And of course, because it was a high school event, uh, they made it into a lock-in, because that's what students do all the time. They want to make a lock-in for everything. So uh, all night, we were uh, doing presentations and learning and hearing testimonies of people in other communities and bringing awareness to what we could do, how we could partner with World Vision and the Evangelical Covenant Church uh, to eliminate uh, extreme starvation around the world. At the end of it, uh, well, first... One of my volunteers came and he said, hey, you know, Jeremy, we should really get Gatorade and water for the kids because we don't want anybody to pass out. And I was like, hey, you know, that's kind of cheating. You know, no food, no water, nothing. 30 hours, we can do it. He was like, I, I think you should have Gatorade and water for the students. And I was like, all right, better safe than sued, right? So I listened to him. And afterwards, uh, the, the students shared their experiences. We got to hear uh, what it was like for, for the students. And then all the money that was raised was donated to World Vision, uh, again, to help their efforts. This Sunday, today, we are continuing the, the sermon series on the Beatitudes. And today, we're on Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's not that difficult to explain. In fact, I gave you a two-minute story. I could really wrap things up in about a minute, and that would be it. Three-minute sermon. And I know some of you who are here were like, yeah, let's do that. Three-minute sermon. I'd be down for that, right? But I haven't preached on a Sunday for a while. I, I preached on Monday, Thursday, but it has been a while. But if, if I do that, I know John is going to pull me into the office. And he's like, hey, listen, Junior Varsity, we gotta, you got to step it up a little bit. So I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. We're going to do the full thing. I know that you had my back, but... But when I talk about hungering and thirsting, it is this food or, or maybe just scratches the surface of what Jesus is getting at when he's talking to his disciples and the people who are there at the Sermon on the Mount. I think maybe a better way to understand hunger and thirsting is this word craving. Craving. 
It is this, this thing that uh, maybe my wife craves bronze chicken strips at 9 o'clock at night on most week, weeknights. Or maybe or I crave a Freddy's Double with no cheese at 9 o'clock at night with her or at 10 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon or 5 in the afternoon. Like whatever, right? Um, but this is just simply, it's too simplistic to use that as an example. To truly crave something means that we will go beyond anything that is standing in our way to get it. We will stand at nothing. Nothing will prevent us from getting what it is we're craving. Have you ever craved something like that before? Have you ever craved something that you have wanted so badly that you would stop at nothing to get it? Well, in our addiction world, right, uh, I can speak to this, that uh, many of us uh, who are uh, addicted to many things or, or some things, we understand that, hey, you know, we've kind of ruined part of our life. We've ruined other people's lives to pursue whatever it is we're trying to get our fix with. Whatever it is we're trying to pursue against all other obstacles, we will go through, go through everything just to get it. And, and for those of you who don't understand what it is to be driven for something like that, there was this video uh, that I came across on YouTube a while about these goats living in Italy. And they would go and they would climb up this huge dam. And they would go and they would lick the salt or minerals that were coming from this huge dam. And it was almost vertical. These mountain goats would go and they would walk along this dam and they would lick the salt or or the minerals just to get their fix. It would drive them to get this salt. It is crazy. And when someone took a photograph of this, they're like, no, 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 that doesn't really exist. And then they totally did, like National Geographic did a, a story on it or whatever. And you can watch videos of these goats. And it's... It's incredible. They're driven and they bring their kids along with them to experience it. I'm glad some of you got that. <laughs> glad some of you got that. But they need this salt. They need these minerals to help them with their vegetarian diet. It helps them with digestion. It helps them like something with their brain. It's just they are driven to get this salt, to get these minerals into their diet. And they will stop at nothing to get it. They're crazy. The goats are crazy. But now imagine that you have experienced something like that, but for righteousness. That only Jesus can provide. Imagine that if you got a taste of what that was, it would begin to drive you against all other obstacles to achieve and to receive that, that righteousness from God. That it would drive you against all other things, people, position, power, pleasure, just to get a taste of that. This is the kind of hungering and thirsting that Jesus is talking about to his disciples. This craving, this thirsting for righteousness, it must be so compelling and so wonderful that you would not want to crave anything else. In this book that my wife read, and I promise to her I will finish reading the book. Carrie, I will finish it. I've only on to page four. But in this book called Made to Crave by Lisa Turker, she writes about experiencing God, right? Going to God for pleasure rather than turning to food and, and, and other things in our lives is, is learning to let go of all those other things and experience God, But this righteousness, this sounds great, doesn't it? God's righteousness, it sounds wonderful, it sounds amazing. So why don't we crave for that first and foremost in our lives? 
We'll go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she gave some also to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked. They sewed fig tree or fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now we're told before this in Genesis 1 and 2 that when God had created everything, each day at the end of it, he said, and he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And then the creation of man and woman, he said it was very good. There was a lot of good things in this garden that Adam and Eve were given. Very good. God said it was good. So why was Adam and Eve looking at what they couldn't have? Why weren't they looking at God? Wasn't God enough for them? Wasn't this seemingly amazing place enough for them? God told them, look, you can have everything here that you want, but just stay away from this one thing. This one thing. Just like Adam and Eve, we begin longing and craving what God says is not good for us. We don't, you know, why don't we immediately crave righteousness all the time in our lives? Why didn't God just instill that in us rather than us being drawn to what God said to stay away from? Without getting into a completely other sermon on this, I will just say that God does not force his love on us. His love is not forced on us to force us to choose what is right or what is obviously wrong because God wouldn't do that. But God does not force himself. He gives us the choice to choose him, to find satisfaction in him, and he does it through love. We aren't forced or have a compulsion to do this. It's through God's love that we can experience this. But this human condition that we have, the longer that we hunger and we thirst for things that are not righteous in God's eyes, the more that what those things that are good become distorted and we start allowing ourselves to settle for a cheap substitute, a a pseudo or a false experience that seems like it's good, but in reality it keeps us completely dissatisfied. And instead, right, we choose that, that cheap substitute, instead of God's righteousness. We're fooled, just like Adam and Eve were fooled, into believing Satan's lie that we can have something better, when in fact it leaves us empty. So then what is this righteousness that we should be all running after? Righteousness, having a righteous life literally is having a right relationship with God. Having a right relationship with others. It's really about obedience. Not out of compulsion, but out of love. It's obedience out of love. This is what we see in young kids. Maybe not so much for the teenage years, but in, in young kids, they will make us those macaroni artworks and uh, 
draw us pictures all the time, and they will, they will give them to us, and they'll say, look, I've made this for you, and what do we do as parents? We're like, oh, that's so beautiful. It's so amazing, right? And, we're, and we are blessed, and it pleases us because our kids desire to see us pleased by them, to see the favor that rests upon them when they do something that they know that we will like. This is how we are pleasing God. We're not doing it to receive his love, but because we're doing it out of love. We desire to do what is good, not necessarily to receive a reward, but simply doing it because it's the right thing to do. We might not always get to experience a reward here on earth, but we will get to experience this reward in heaven. And Jesus says, look, If you want to experience the kingdom of heaven just a little bit more, if you want a taste of that, then hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you will see that God is going to satisfy you. Get to a place in your life where you're hungering and thirsting and and being driven towards this right relationship with God and others, and you'll get to know just a little bit more about what the kingdom of heaven is all about. You're going to stop at nothing else other than to please God, to do his will, to be obedient, to have a right relationship. That's what drives us. You want to experience the goodness of God. In Exodus, Moses has brought the people out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. There is no food. There is no water and the people begin to complain they grumble they're ready to kill Moses they're frustrated they're hungry they're angry they're they're hangry okay they're thirsty and God hears their cries and he provides water for them he provides manna for them he provides quail for them he gives them exactly what it is their body needs But then Moses reminds the people in Deuteronomy, before they go into the promised land, starting in chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you, or to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which your, neither you nor your ancestors had known. Why? To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus quoted the scripture when he was being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days to test you and to humble you, to see what was in your heart. What was in your heart? You see, the Hebrew people were grumbling and complaining, and they were longing and searching and desiring and craving for the wrong thing. God still provided for what their bodies needed, but they were missing it. They were really needing to learn complete and utter dependence on God and crave Him first and foremost. And not just food and water. This is another reason why Christians fast. This is why Christians, as a spiritual practice, fast. Maybe for a day, maybe for a two, maybe for a week. Whatever it is, it's to learn that hunger. It's to learn that thirst. It's to learn that we do not live on bread alone, but every 
word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, to learn dependency. And when we are willing to not allow our flesh to be satisfied by other things, we have no other choice but then to be satisfied by God. And some of us can only get to that point if we eliminate food or water uh, from our lives. Once we are willing to completely let go of everything, what truly matters, the satisfying us, we will want this righteousness that only God can provide. He wants us to be at that place. And I'll be honest, this is really, really tough for me. Ever since I was a young kid, like young, I don't know what happened in my brain, but as a child, I, I lived in a Christian family who loved me when we went to church every Sunday, but for something for me, I was always trying to find satisfaction, pleasure, and restoration through everything else other than God. I didn't know how to go to God for satisfaction. I didn't know how to crave and thirst for his righteousness. I only knew how to hunger and thirst for my flesh. And I brought that in through my childhood years, through my teenage years, into adulthood. And I have been trying to unlearn that process ever since. And yet, there are times when I have stopped and experienced God's righteousness and have experienced that hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. And I ask myself, why am I not constantly still longing for that when I've had that taste? Now, Pastor John gave an example of this sort of thing a couple of weeks ago. Or maybe it was three weeks ago by now. But he said, you know, when you're, you're walking down the street, you're past these stinky people that you encounter on the street. There's lots of them. There's always stinky people, right? And you, and you come, and we must have to then sue the soap companies because they're not doing their job in cleaning people up, right? But John said, of course, this is ludicrous because the people who are stinky are not actually using the soap. They're just, you know, so it doesn't make any sense to blame the soap company we need to realize that the people are not getting the solution they needed. Well, we have the solution, and we know what the solution is. It's Jesus Christ, so why aren't we choosing to use Christ for that satisfaction in our lives? Why do we settle for those cheap substitutes day in and day out? This is my conviction today, and I hope this is all of your conviction today. If we are finding ourselves not craving God's righteousness all the time, we should be asking ourselves, why not? Why am I not being driven to this hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God? We'll need to evaluate who or what is taking the place of God and getting in the way or whatever those cheap substitutes are in our lives and evaluating honestly with God, what do we need to let go of? What are we holding on to too tightly? I mention this all the time, and I'm going to mention it again. Everyone here is suffering with a hang-up. Either it's unforgiveness, or we have an issue that it's resentment, or whatever it is, we have a hang-up. We all have been hurt in our lives. All of us are carrying some kind of hurt in our lives, and all of us 
probably have a habit that we'd probably want to let go of. This is what we do at Celebrate Recovery on Tuesdays. All of us who are going there are uncovering what those things are that are holding us back from experiencing that true freedom, that true satisfaction that only God provides. We have settled for those cheap substitutes, and now we are letting those things go. We are being freed from those things in order to experience the freedom that only God provides. And once you've experienced that, you want to keep coming back because it's true and it's right. And I appreciate, okay, yeah. Go ahead, yeah, it's, uh, it's my Celebrate Recovery people, right? So <laughs> it's true and it's, it's great. And you guys all need to be there on Tuesday. If you're not there, I'm going to call you, Okay. Christ has given us a new life, and we need to live into that new life to get rid of that old way of thinking, the old way that has kept us trapped, and begin to experience this goodness of God. We, experience, we get to experience the goodness of God. Doesn't that sound like it would be something that all of us would want? It does. It should, and it needs to be, and it needs to be something that I also crave and desire on a constant basis, and it's still a struggle for me, and I'm supposed to have it figured out because I'm a pastor, but I haven't figured it all yet. I struggle along with all of you too, but our mindset needs to change from what we think we're missing out on, that if we truly let this go in our life, it will actually be okay if we don't do this or see this or whatever it is, it's going to be okay because God's righteousness is so much better. We have a person in our congregation, and, and when I was thinking of asking someone to give a, a testimony of this, uh, this person was one of the people that came to mind of when I think of someone who craves and thirsts for righteousness, I thought of Shinhee Chen who's in our congregation, and I, and I thought of her, and I, yeah, I'm going to have her come on up, and I just was like, you know, Shinhee, I would love for you to come up here and share a testimony. Would that be okay with you? And she said, no, I don't know, but <laughs> it was a blessing to hear her in the first service. So, Shinhee, thank you for coming here uh, and sharing your testimony. Hi, my name is Chin Yi Jin. My husband and I have been attending Countryside Covenant Church from 2003, the year we moved to McPherson. It's been 20 years. We raised our two kids here. They have grown up and flown. I am currently working at Tabor College in Hillsboro. I'm teaching art there. I was born into a Christian family in South Korea. My fraternal grandfather was a Christian educator and martyred during Korean War by communists. And my mother's family also persecuted uh, and expelled from their hometown because of their Christian faith. So faith is very important in our family. First letter of my name, Shin, means faith in Korean. Matthew chapter uh, 6 and verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It was the Bible verse that I prayed with when I was consumed by the idea of becoming an artist. I wanted to be an artist to create artworks 
for glorifying God and witnessing God's grace. I was 17 years old, though my goal was not never to be successful. Moving to America, suffering from language barriers, supporting my husband through graduate school, raising children, uh, went to another graduate school, moving from West Coast to East Coast, from Michigan to Kansas. It was not easy to follow the narrow path that I am, but I am thankful that God was with me. My ongoing series of work explore humanity and dignity in human beings, highlighting the interconnectedness. I have also created a series of pieces that depict the peoples who have worked for marginalized and forgotten people who have remained voiceless, faceless, and nameless. Sister Dorothy Stang is one of them. Sister Dorothy Stang was an American-born Christian nun living in Brazil. She was outspoken in her efforts to help rights abuses against small farmers in Brazilian jungle. She lived in service to indigenous people, trying to break down the divisions among the human family and protect the surrounding environment. The effects of her work so, so wide that in 2005, she was assassinated by two gunmen in the Amazon forest. When the two attackers asked her if she had any weapons, she claimed that I quote, the only weapon I have is my Bible. And according to witnesses, she began to read a passage from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Then Sister Dorothy Stang was shot six times at close range. In this work on the screen, concentric circles represent the state of perfection of humans. It also used to represent a target of archery or firearms. As the case for Dorothy Stang, those who seek protect others or do good works in the world are often persecuted and attacked. The concentric circles also represent ripples in water, as good works will resonate beyond the life of their originator. Sister Stang's life and death is a seed that is grown in the form of others, being inspired by her work for peacemaking and respect for the nature um, God has created. Art and faith serve similar function in my life. Art uses visual elements to explore and communicate truth. Faith is another mode of my exploration and communication of truth. My Christian faith has shaped my concept and themes in my work. Thank you. 감사합니다. It's, a, it's, a, it's truly amazing um, when you ask someone to share a testimony, you don't necessarily know what they're going to say. 
And when I was thinking of uh, Shin Hee Chen to, to do this uh, testimony, how, how could I have known that she did artwork that was depicting this and for Sister Sang's last moments on earth that those two are completely connected? No way of knowing this, right? This is how God operates and moves. And so thank you, Shin Hee, for, for sharing that in your heart and for the gifts that God um, has given to you for um, the artistry. And, and we're just grateful that you've shared that with us on, on more than one occasion. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you again for showing us that your righteousness is worth dying for. Your righteousness is worth everything. We abandon everything else to crave it, to hunger, to thirst for it. God, because it is good, it is right. I'm grateful that you have allowed us to see your servant Shin He and her, her artistic work and how you've used her um, to bring awareness and also to bring beauty and understanding in this world in a very different way than many of us um, have been exposed to. So we're grateful for that and ask a blessing over her and her family as she continues uh, to do great work here in our community. Amen.